welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT. In this episode or this edition, we're going to be going over Bellator 288, which is not a usual occurrence in the MMA Lockcast sphere, but. Things have changed, folks. Things have changed. I definitely want to take a more concerted effort in terms of dropping content for the Bellators, for the PFLs. And as announced a little bit earlier on my Patreon page today, I'm going to be looking to tackle the regional scene. Now, that means PFL is going to be included in that, LFA, CFFC, Cage Warriors, and Fury FC, most of which can be seen on uh, UFC Fight Pass. But um, the good old guys over there at Bet Online do a great job in terms of releasing odds for those promotions. So I want to be sure to take advantage of it. And I finally got on top of time management skills over here. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this thing full time for over a year and a half now. I'm, you know, I'd say four or five months short of doing this thing two years full time now. But I finally feel like I've gotten to a point where I can, uh, you know, do my UFC work, do my tape index work, but also have time to do other promotions now. So uh, starting this week, we'll always be doing a Bellator MMA Lawcast episode. That is something that you guys can always guarantee. I'll also, whenever there is an LFA, CFFC, Cage Warriors, all those promotions I announced, if there is an event that week, I will drop a main event preview for you guys. But the rest of that stuff is going to be over on the Patreon in terms of my best bets and props article where I'll go through every single fight, give you my best bet, give you my best prop, how you should be approaching it. Uh, and yeah, that scratches the itch whenever there's no UFC event. And I know there's a ton of regional events. Uh, LFA puts two to three events on per month uh, and then mix in those other regional shows. There's always going to be something to bet on. So I always want to make sure that I can provide you guys with as, as much, you know, of that good stuff as possible. So uh, shout out to everybody that's already upgraded within the Patreon itself. Obviously, it's not going to be the same tier as the UFC tier. It'll be a, a tad bit more expensive. But Bellator and UFC will be included for the $5 a month, which is my regular you know, Patreon tier. But then after that, I believe it's $15 a month that I've set it at for all the extra regional show stuff. A lot of extra work. So might as well make it worth it. And especially if anybody's, you know, betting on that scale, I'm sure 15 bucks a month means nothing for these folks. And the best part about it, no long-term commitment. So you can hop in, hop off whenever you want. Uh, you get the all the content until the end of the month, and then you don't get charged again at the first. Again, no long-term commitments. So you can hop in and out whenever you like. All right. Now that we got all of that good stuff out of the way, yes, it is 1230 or almost 1230 a.m. on this Thursday morning, if you want to call it now, but I just finished up my Bellator 288 tape from uh, a couple hours ago, and uh, I thought I might as well uh, squeeze out the podcast for you guys here, not pre-edited in all of its glory like I do with the regular MMA Lawcast episode, but uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you don't care about all that extra shiny bells and whistles and all that stuff. You just want to get the information, so I'll get right to that let me just quickly see what the live chat is saying here before i get into it uh shout out to my guy tim triano in the chat as always jewish better in the chat chilling with us my guy addicted to comments saying just got done talking about to our main card on stream myself a hell of a card down in my neck of the woods of chicago hopefully 
you are able to go out and enjoy that card and see that card yourself, my friend. And my guy, Tim Sharon, always send in love. All right, let me just quickly take a swig of some water uh, and then we'll get into this bad boy. All right. So this Bellator card takes place on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be the first prelim fight. Uh, headlined by two title fights, like I said, Vadim Nemkov going up against Corey Anderson to uh, end off the, the light heavyweight Grand Prix, as well as uh, be the rematch for a fight that took place several months ago where it was ended due to an unintentional clash of heads that caused a very bad cut on Vadim Nemkov, and that fight became a no contest. But now here they are trying to settle some business. In the co-main event, Patricky Pitbull, which is the lesser Pitbull brother, uh, going in, up against his toughest test to date. And Usman Nurmagomedov, who's coming in at a shiny record of 15 and 0. Would you would you be surprised if I told you that he's minus 600 in this spot? Probably not, but uh, very intriguing matchup. Daniel Whitechow taking on a hot prospect, making his debut in Timur Kiziev, uh, uh, Kizriev, I should say, sorry. And then a bunch of other interesting matchups sprinkled out throughout the card. Uh, notably, a lot of those Bellator uh, wrestling prospects trying to really establish themselves in Bellator and continue to gain experience before they start taking on the ranked opponents. So like I said, a ton of fun fights to get through here. All right, let's get into the first matchup of the night. And it takes place in the heavyweight division. We got uh, Vladimir Govea making his pro debut, going up against uh, regional journeyman Corey Mogenberg. In terms of odds, we got minus 325 on Govea and plus 265 the return on Mogenberg. Now, this was the last fight that I finished taping because... There's nothing really to tape on Vladimir uh, Govea, and he's sitting here as a minus 325 favorite. That is rule numero uno. If you know nothing about this guy, and we don't have much data sets or data points out there to try to make an ed educated bet on somebody, you sure as hell are not blindly playing minus 325. Now, from the little that I was able to gather about Govea, uh, he's, at least he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. That's what I can find out he trains out of uh, american kickboxing academy which you know has a solid amount of training partners for him still over there um in terms of footage the only thing i can find is from his blue belt days from seven eight years ago on on youtube like he has a couple jujitsu competitions uh, on there but outside of that i can't find anything on this guy he has no amateur bouts he has no previous mma experience this is going to be his first ever mma fight and to see my minus 325 is a little bit of a, a red flag for me. But luckily for Vladimir, there is nothing on the Corey uh, Mogenberg side that makes me think that this guy's a live underdog. The only thing that would make him a live underdog is the fact that he has six pro MMA bouts under his belt. Not to mention, you know, maybe five or six on the amateur scene as well. He is your typical country boy, strong type of uh, regional journeyman, like I said, where he has big power in his hands. But that's about it. Like his takedown defense seems non-existent and he has been in this position before where he seems to be like the, the lamb brought to slaughter. Bell Bellator did this to him in the past with uh, Bailey Schoenfelder, I believe the kid's name was. Just athletic freak and physical specimen going up against Mogenberg. And obviously he gets finished at the ending of round one. Uh, who could have saw that coming? But it could potentially be the same thing here for Go Govea. The only question is, 
How good is his wrestling? Because if he can't get this fight to the ground, it's possibly he can get knocked out. We don't know if he's an actual fighter. Like, we don't know if he could take a punch on the chin and keep going forward. And again, we don't know if he can 100% get this fight to the ground. Everything on tape makes me believe that Govea can get down, get takedowns on a guy like Mogenberg, who has a horrible takedown defense game. But like, what if he gets clipped on the chin on the way in and, you know, he just doesn't like the, the feeling of actually getting hit in live action? That's my big question mark here in terms of putting any money on Govea. Uh, even the under one and a half, that's at minus 300. That is a crazy line. And it's more than likely going to hit. You know what I mean? I think that Govea, if he's as good as people make his jiu-jitsu seem it to be, he should likely get Corey to the ground early and submit it. And if Vladimir is truly not a fighter, and if he gets dinged and doesn't want to fight anymore, that probably won't go past the five-minute mark. But... What if Vladimir turns out to be one of these lame prey grappling guys where he's able to get to like half guard or side control and then he just is content with controlling his opponent on the mat there? That's the thing, right? The the big unknowns about the Vladimir Govea side here. So all in all, I'm passing. There's nothing I want to do with this fight. Even Govea sub prop at minus 110. Again, we have no idea what the fuck we're getting with this guy. So there's no point in even betting it. So I'm going to pass on that fight all in all. Uh, we got my guy sparring with reality Luke in the chat here. Appreciate him uh, following uh, following up on some of this stuff for Govea, saying he's competing in some higher level IBJJF tournaments uh, or has competed, uh, lost to Jacob Couch, but didn't get submitted. Impressive. There you go. So, uh, yeah, mainly a BJJ guy. That's that's really all we could take from this. We have no idea what his wrestling is like, no idea what his striking is like, and no idea how we will react once he gets cracked on the chin, which is inevitable in this matchup. Uh, but I'll go with Govea, Govea by submission. I can't muster up the strength to be putting on uh, money on a guy like Mogenberg. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got one of those Bellator wrestling prospects that I always like to talk about, Isaiah Hockett coming in uh, against Matthias Nader, or Nader, however you say his name, minus 210 on a Hockett, plus 180 the return on a Nader. Now, Hockett dropped his Bellator debut, which happened to be his professional MMA debut as well, where he got knocked out in 10 seconds by a 2-2 two and two Corey Samuels at the time. Corey, a bit of a regional uh, journeyman himself, four and three, and uh, has competed against all levels of competition, but you should not be getting knocked out by a guy like Corey Samuels in your first fight. I will just chalk that up to, you know, first ever fight, right? That's what could have happened with a Vladimir Govea in the first fight of the night. Excuse me. That's what I'm scared of. And if I'm not mistaken, Isaiah came into that fight as a minus, yeah, minus 715 favorite according to Tapology. Rip up all your tickets because this guy can't take a punch right off the jump. But he does return about uh, 14 months later. Or sorry, um, what is that? Eight months later, he returns uh, against Theodore Makuka, gets the guy to the ground almost immediately, works his jiu-jitsu game, and then eventually gets that rear naked choke and gets him out of there. So he showcases a strong wrestling game, as you would suspect, but we still we still need to see more from him, in my opinion, before we can pay uh, minus 210 on a guy like that. His opponent, Matthias Nader, looks in phenomenal shape, man. This man is shredded uh, for this uh, for this weight class, for this bantamweight weight class, has a ton of of uh 
has a ton of strength, has a ton of power, uh, but jiu-jitsu seems to be his go-to. He is a brown belt in BJJ and trains out of a small gym out of Wisconsin. Uh, like I said, very limited tape on him, but from what I see, his jiu-jitsu transitions seem to be pretty smooth. If there is somebody that could potentially cause Hawkins some trouble, uh, you know, early in his MMA career. It's a guy with as much jujitsu experience as Nader. So, uh, to me, this is a dog or pass situation. The only reason I'm passing altogether is the fact that there's only so much we can tell from the, I believe it was only one fight that I had worth of tape on uh, Matias Nader, and it looked good. Again, it looked good. His BJJ looked decent, but. How will it hold up against a, a wrestler of Hockett's level? And can Hockett stay safe from on top? So uh, the the only way that I look to to take, like Nader by sub at plus 550, I think is a, a steal of a line. If he's going to be live in this fight as, at all, you know, it's him pulling off a reversal. It's him throwing up a submission off of his back. That's probably the way to go about it. So I ended up predicting Nader as my my pick here because of the greenness on the hockey side. And when fights do hit the ground, man, you got to respect the BJJ Brown belt, uh, Matias Nader, especially when you have somebody as raw and green as hockey right now. So give me Nader, Nader by sub, but all in all, I'll likely be passing on this matchup. Uh, Tim's saying hockey the parlay killer. There you go, Abu Dhabi in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. All right, let's get to this next matchup. We're going to be talking about Laird Anderson going up against Rob Fennigal. Intriguing matchup here because we got minus 700 on uh, uh Anderson and plus 500 on Fennigal. Now, starting off on the Anderson side, another aka product. Um, you know, his last matchup took place in April, but before that, he took off relatively three and a half years to uh, mold his game, right? Like, he had a split decision victory in his U- or Bellator debut back at UFC 206, or I keep wanting to say UFC. I'm so used to that. Fucking force a habit. Um, September of 2018, he defeated Ricky Abdel Aziz at Bellator 206. Very close fight, back and forth fight. Uh, Laird did manage to have some success later in that fight with his wrestling and his BJJ, uh, and he was able to scrape out a, a decision victory there. His three previous fights on the amateur scene have were him winning all by stoppage. One of uh, two of them coming on the ground, obviously one of them being ground and pound, and one of them being being via submission. Um, and then he competed a bunch in combat jiu-jitsu over the last four years, um, or sorry, last two years before he made his return to the Bellator cage back in April where, you know, we didn't really get to see much of his game. You know, uh, uh, that fight pretty much got into the clinch position right off the jump. They were fighting for a position. Laird eventually gets the back of JT and sinks in the rear naked choke and gets the win there. So his BJJ black belt level obviously he looks very good doing so but i want to see more of this guy before we try to tack on minus 700 in this spot rob fennigal on the other hand similar to the Corey mogenbergs of the world seems to be the the regional journeyman uh you know he went three and two on the amateur scene Right now, as a pro, he holds a 2-2 two and two record. Uh, both of his professional wins coming via uh, heel hook, one against a guy that was 3-8 and eight, and one against a guy that was 1-0, and oh, which actually took place in Bellator. But when you see him going up against a guy like Zach Vasey, where he's completely outstruck, uh, and then in the jiu-jitsu room, it seemed like Vasey had his number in that aspect as well. Uh, Fennigal, uh, very strong, very physical guy. His striking game, 
needs a lot of work. It's a lot of just pot shots, one uh, overhand right, uh, you know, large or wide winging hooks. That's pretty much it. And he telegraphs a lot of them, you know, a couple minutes into the fight because his gas take, not the greatest either. A guy like Laird Anderson should be able to deal with that early onslaught, but then from there, really start to get the rest of his game going with the takedown and getting his jiu-jitsu going. I believe Fennecal is a purple belt at this point in time. I'd be surprised if he heel hooks Laird Anderson in the spot. So I think Laird is this is the side. Minus 700 is a little crazy, though. Like, I don't want to get caught up in a number like that, especially with the guy who has only seen professional MMA combat. Um you know, live action once in the last four years. Let's see him flesh out a little bit more before we get crazy in terms of taking him in this spot. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 325. You know, I'd rather tie myself to that than Laird Anderson at minus 700. But I do think the the bulk of the, the finishing is on the Laird Anderson side here. Anderson by dis- Anderson by submission sitting at plus 175. That would probably be the best way to, to approach this one. But uh, minus 700, count me out. Uh, Abadabi saying Laird hasn't fought in a while. Well, his last fight was April. Yeah, April. Not that long ago. Uh, Jewish better saying Anderson, the real deal. I like him by sub. I want to see more of him. Anderson, legit BJJ, beat Ben Eddy, who's one of the best card players in the world. Going to run circles around Fenegal. There you go. Um, there you go. My guy sparring with reality. Uh, Luke definitely knows his BJJ shit. But yeah, I know I've heard of Ben Eddie. I know that guy's a a name within the grappling world. Uh, but yeah, I guess we can run it up on the uh, Laird Anderson by submission prop there. All right, let's get to the next matchup. This is between Jordan Newman, who comes in at minus. 1050. He's going up against Jaden Talker, who's coming in at plus 700. Now, Jordan Newman, among that Bellator wrestling prospect uh, category, UFC got this guy nice and, or sorry, Bellator got this guy nice and early. His first uh, professional MMA fight was actually in Bellator against Joseph Holmes, ugly man Joseph Holmes. That took place in March of 2019. Uh, since then, uh, Jordan Newman has. Uh, won three straight fights. Again, he's 4-0 in his professional MMA career, and you see that he wants to take fights to the ground as that's where he usually gets his best work going. Uh, he's able to finish Branko Busick by elbows from the crucifix position halfway through that second round. It's a good win for him there. I wonder if anybody was able to cash on the under one and a half. They're considering it finished right at the one and a half round mark. Uh, but this is a bad matchup for Talker. Now, Talker, he seems to be a boxer, right? He has nice compact combinations, has some big power in his hands, seems to be slightly undersized for this division, although he has competed at heavyweight in the past. The guy's a short, like, stocky dude that just carries a ton of power. Earlier in his career, I saw it was kind of harder for guys to take him down, but then as you start taking steps up in competition, guys were able to get him to the ground and smash him from that top position. Jordan Newman, likely the best guy he's ever fought to this date, so I completely understand the minus 1,000 price tag on Newman, and Newman earlier in his uh, professional career showcased that like if he wasn't able to get guys out of there, he would start to slow down and put himself in jeopardy. 
like that Joseph Holmes fight. Holmes had a, a little bit of a resurgence in that third round before Newman was able to get that fight back to the ground. But seems like he's improved that. Seems like he's a better all-around fighter now. And he's actually one of those guys that are the last standing competitors out of Rufus Sport. You know, a lot of the big names from Rufus Sport have left, but Jordan Newman still finds himself over there. But I believe he's going to eventually have to change gyms once he starts finding the ranked level of opponent in, uh, in the Bellator realm. So, um, the best way I'd like to approach this is Newman by knockout, which is minus 110. If I doesn't go to a decision, minus 400, I think that's a good spot as well. Like, something to parlay, I think. But, like, I don't think Newman just grinds this guy out. I think he gets him to the ground. I think he passes with a relative ease. And then I think he gets that top position and pounds him out. You know, Jordan Newman has finished... Uh, you know, including his amateur career, he's finished three out of his five fights. But Jaden Talker does not look like a guy that knows what the fuck he's doing once, uh, you know, he's he's off his back. Um, this is the other aspect of the knockout approach that I want to take. Uh, Talker has been finished by knockout four times in the last year and a half. He just got flatlined back in June in his last boxing fight. Like a bad knockout, like where he head snapped back, bounced off the ring, didn't look good. I don't even think he should be competing, if I'm being honest, that quickly after a knockout like that. And even the the Chris Vereen fight where he got knocked out, like that was a, you know, the, the commentators were saying that was a bad stoppage, but he was eating some big damage from on top. He did get put out clean against uh, Ravon Baxter back in November of 2021, just about a year ago. But having these amount of knockouts in that short amount of time is not a good look. And now you're going up against a guy that is going to pulverize you from that top position. So I think minus 110 is a bit of a steal of a line on Newman. I know he's a grappler, and obviously whenever guys are dominant on the mat, the jiu-jitsu and submission is absolutely on play. But given everything that I've been seeing from him and the, and the positions that he gets on the ground, he's fine to just smash your face in. And I think that he's going to be able to do that against Jaden Talker. So give me uh, Newman by KO probably the best way to take it all right next up another bellator wrestling prospect here on stage go uh we got sullivan coley taking on jay raddick now sullivan coley coming in as a minus 560 favorite plus 430 to return on jay raddick now sullivan coley four and oh in the Bellator cage as a pro, and that's obviously his entire professional career. He's finished every single fight in the first round, usually by getting his opponents to the mat and absolutely destroying them there. You know, the ties, uh, the, there were fights where he was actually taken down, but he does a very good job in terms of remaining urgent and working back to his feet, uh, you know, not really settling for a position and allowing his opponents to get off any good damage. Um, for a guy that's a wrestling standout, I was surprised that he got taken down a couple times by the lower level of competition. But I like his urgency in terms of getting back to his feet and not really just, like I said, not really settling for a position. Uh, he's an athletic freak. He has a ton of explosiveness, uh, big power in his hands, and his top pressure, very tough to deal with. Now, Jay Raddick, on the other hand, 38-year-old. You know, he's actually going to be turning 39 in February, but he's a physical specimen in his own right. Six foot five. Like just looking at his picture on topology, the guy looks like a fucking mammoth compared to the referee that's standing beside him. But he's a he's a big fighter. Seems to have a Muay Thai background. Um, he did pull off a submission victory in his last fight, which took place almost three years ago against a guy who is now three and six. So I'm not going to take too much from that. But I got to believe that a lot of his uh, success to this point has come from his 
his physicality and 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 you know his his physical attributes alone. That's it. You know, just the one fight that I have of his, which is only a minute of a two and a half minute fight, was the last end of it. Was him against this guy named E.G. A.J. Weaver, who looked like a you know a a dad that just hopped off the couch and was like, "All right, I'll fuck this guy," or "I'll fuck this guy," <laughs> "I'll fight this guy," um, for five hundred bucks. Just throw me in there, and he just got pulverized. So yes, Jay has you know solid power good explosiveness but as fights start to wear on as i saw in his muay thai belt even though he got a uh, knockout in that fight in the third round i believe it was he did look like he was slowing down he was telegraphing a lot of his punches and i feel like at that point sullivan collie will be able to start taking this fight to the ground with ease and then just mash this guy from on top so there is that possible ko opportunity from the jay raddick side and the fact that raddick by ko is plus 2000 is crazy i think he has Enough power to, if he lands cleanly on the chin of Kali, he can put him out. Plus 2,000 is a ridiculous line. But if I doesn't go to decision, minus 600, throw that into a parlay somewhere. I mean, there is the possibility that uh, these guys could potentially gas out against each other and we might get a sloppy over two and a half or, you know, uh, over one and a half round fight. Like, that's where they start to slow down. But I think that Kali is one of those guys that showcases that he has that that tank from Everything that I've heard from the commentators to guys talking about his interviews, apparently this guy has a very good gas tank. And I believe that if he does, he should be able to ground this fight and smash Jay Raddick from on top. So Kali by knockout is minus 180. I don't like betting that type of chalk on, on specific method of victory props, uh, which is why I wouldn't mind, like, you know, just to be on the safe side, just in case Raddick knocks him out to minus 600 as a parlay piece in a degenerate violence parlay. That's where I'll likely have my money. But Kali should stay safe early, should be able to get this fight to the ground and smash this guy from on top. But do not be surprised if Radic pulls off the upset. I wouldn't get too tied to the money line for Sullivan Kali because that early knockout risk is definitely there. All right, let's get to another heavy Bellator wrestling prospect favorite. We got Archie Colgan coming in at minus 750. He's going up against Jesse Hannum, who's coming in at plus 550. Like This is one of those spots where I think that Colgan absolutely cruises. You know, Colgan came into the Bellator with uh, a wrestling background, uh, obviously showcased it in his first couple fights, but over his last couple fights, he's been showcasing an improved striking game. Now, I get it. Level of competition could be a little bit sketchy, but to see that type of performance from him, see him going to back-to-back third rounds and showcase a good striking skill set the entire time, it's it's great. I, I love to see that from a young fighter. Now, he trains out of Denver, Colorado, and he's you know been seen training with guys like Kamar Usman, Justin Gaethje, uh, the Trevor Whitmans of the world as well. So you got to believe that he's been seeing what the highest level of MMA can be. And given that he's on such a crazy run right now, you got to believe his confidence is at a sky high level. And I think that he's going to be able to bring that into this fight against Jesse Hannum and completely destroy this guy. Now, Hannum, uh, 2-1, has a wrestling background himself, but I think it pales in comparison with with what Colvin Colgan's skill set is. Um, and yeah, Hannah, just not, not the greatest. He has a six and five amateur MMA career. He doesn't seem to have that high of a ceiling. And yes, he's made some physical transformations over the last year or so, but I still don't think that's going to be enough to deal with Colgan. Uh, I really think Colgan can win this fight any way that he wants. I don't see much of a, of a path. If I'm being honest for Jesse Hannum in this fight, like, 
if there was one big, big favorite that lost, um, Archie Colgan would be the one that would surprise me the most. I think he just has such a skill advantage in this matchup that he should be able to win this fight at a certain point. Colgan by knockout, minus 105, another spot that I'm very uh, keen on playing once it starts to open up on more bookies. But again, uh, you know, big wrestler, you would expect him to try to get a submission here, but I think that he'll be able to get those uh, positions required to posture up, rain down big shots, and possibly get Hannah out of there on the ground and even on the feet. I think he's far far more explosive, far faster, and will likely get to that target quicker than Hannah can get out of the way, and that could potentially cast the knockout prop as well. So, Colgan by knockout, minus 105, sign me up. That's the way I'll likely be playing this matchup. Next up, now let's talk about some somewhat competitive fights. We got Kilis Mota coming in at minus 150. He's going up against Jairo Pacheco, who's coming in as a plus 130 underdog. Now, uh, let's start off on the Kilis Mota side, who's had a up-and-down Bellator career thus far. He's 2-2 two and two in the Bellator cage. Uh, before coming to Bellator, his only loss was to Austin Hubbard, which uh, was a fifth-round uh, stoppage for Austin Hubbard, uh, getting that win way back in December of 2018. Uh, roughly a year later, Mota makes his debut against Mandel Nalo, and I believe that's the moment that he also uh, decided to start training with Teixeira MMA and leave his homely confines of um of brazil <clears throat> since then obviously he's changed training camps i believe he's with american top team now if i'm not mistaken but what we saw in the man down nalo fight was that he was having trouble dealing with the speed range and striking of nalo until motor started to implement those calf kicks and in that third round he was really attacking it it caused nalo uh to you know, his leg seized up. I think it's called the perennial nerve that gets hit in the leg. If that gets hit, then like your leg just kind of locks up. Your ankle doesn't really know what to do. It starts flopping all over the place. And that's what happened to Nalo. Hence why that fight ended up getting stopped. The Derek Anderson fight, close fight, kind of back and forth until Derek Anderson landed a beautiful head kick that was originally a lot of people deemed or thought it was should have been deemed illegal, but upon the replay, you saw that Kilis Motas uh, was not a downed opponent, and he ended up getting knocked out and losing that fight, uh, like I said, via knockout. He follows that up with a split decision loss to Mike Hamill. Very back-and-forth fight. Hamill, I believe, did deserve to win that fight. Uh, I think he landed the more damaging strikes, and even though that there was moments that Mota was controlling this fight against the cage, uh, I think Hamill did a good job in terms of nullifying the vast majority of his success, especially when it came down to the damage. He got back out into space and uh, was able to do more damage and get his hand raised. A close fight. Then the Dan Moret fight. What a fight. What a, you know, a, you know it, it kicked off hot and heavy, both guys landing big strikes, uh, but it ultimately came down to Nick, or Achilles Mota's grappling game. He was able to lock up Dan Moret, push him up against the cage, drag him to the ground, do good damage from on top, and just grind him out and win that that hard-fought victory over 15 minutes. Uh, and that, I believe that was his first fight with the American top team. So you got to believe that they're trying to get this guy to utilize his strengths to the best of his abilities so that he can get his hand raised. Now he comes in against Jairo Pacheco, who seems to be a hot prospect, 7-0. He's 25 years old. He trains out of the Data fight team, which I believe was originally home to uh, Tiago Santos before Santos moved stateside. Um, this kid looks, he looks interesting, man. 
Uh, he's six foot tall. He has a long reach. Uh, I don't have the exact number on it here, but he utilizes it very well. He stays at distance, uses his one-twos down the middle, uses his movement, uses his kicks as well. And a lot of guys are usually um, frustrated by that, and they're, and they're not really able to get much off. Now, up until the Tafarel uh brazil fight he was just fighting guys that he could just pitter patter from the outside and touch up and and you know just beat these guys up from distance but the brazil fight was a fight where he finally started to face a little bit of not adversity but resistance because brazil was a you know uh somewhat of a stationary um juggernaut puncher right like he threw everything into his punches so you know brazil couldn't just skip around his opponents and just touch them up yes he did that against Brazil but he had to be wary of that big power coming back his way so he did a very good job in terms of staying away from the big power punching and was able to um do solid work from the outside and uh and win that fight via decision the the Rafael Silva fight we see Pacheco deal with the guy that's finally going to get him to the ground, but Pacheco, very active guard, was able to get that armbar and pull off that victory in the second round. The the Bernardo fight, you know, absolutely torches this guy from the outside, but showcases that even in that fight that he can be taken down and controlled. And that's kind of my concern here, that Moto will likely get touched up from distance should he not be able to get this fight to the ground. However, I do think he gets the fight to the ground, and I think from there he will be able to grind out Pacheco and win this fight via decision. I think he has good top control, and I think he stays safe enough from that top position that he won't get caught in one of those armbar from God situations that Pacheco has been successful with in the past. So I see Pacheco as being a, you know, he, he is a promising prospect, but until I see him deal with a guy of Killis Mota's um, uh, level, and if he can come out there and, and stop the takedowns and just stick to his striking game, the guy has a bright future. And uh, that would very much impress me. So the pick is Mota, Mota by decision, but I don't have the confidence to pay that minus 150 on his line. Uh, he could get outstruck. When you have that much of a disadvantage on the feet, um, again, it's not a massive disadvantage. Like this is not fucking Israel Adesanya against Derek Brunson on the feet by any means. But like there is a clear discipline, technique, and, and range advantage for a guy like Pacheco should this fight remain in the kickboxing realm. And with how how much uh, Mota usually telegraphs his, his punches when he throws from the outside with, with the power that he does. But I think Mota secures takedowns. I think he grinds them out. I think he wins this decision. My guy Luke saying, on paper and stylistically, you think Pacheco is a pretty live dog, but a good size step up in competition has only beat up arms. Exactly my my uh, my concern as well, right? Like, can he do the same thing to Mota when Mota is actively going to be grappling and looking to get this fight to the ground and throwing big shots in return so that Pacheco can't just be, you know, lackadaisical on the outside like he has been in previous fights. So this is a sit back and watch fight for me. You know I mean? I want to see what Pacheco brings to the table against a, a Mota level of competition before I have confidence in him. All right. Let's continue moving on down the card. Next up, we got Imam Shafi Aliyev coming in as a minus 950 or 900 favorite. He's going up against Sean Fallon, uh, or I should say Sean Connor Fallon, uh, who's coming in at plus 575. Now, 8-0, Imam Shafi Aliyev, obviously training out of Dagestan, you know, usually you see Usman and Umer Nurmagomedov in his corner. He's one of those AKA Dagestani fighters. And he is, you guessed it, a wrestler. 
He likes to get guys to the ground. He likes to punish them on the ground. But if he struggles to keep these guys on the ground, then you see him kind of starting to slow down. And that's the big issue that I have him uh, with him, right? His uh, fight against Elias Pacnus uh, struggles to finish the guy on the ground. And then when the fight's on the feet, man, this guy's taking big breaths. He's throwing big shots to try to stay in the fight. And then he obviously will, you know, look to get the takedown. And sometimes they might come a little bit sloppy. That's my concern here, backing a minus 900 favorite like Aliyev. On paper, Dagestani should Dagestani, right? But the Sean Connor Fallon guy, 23 fight veteran, um, you know, has a plethora of submission victories on his record, very active off of his back, even if it's just trying to secure that mission control position. But he does like his dart strokes, he likes his chokes, period. If Aliyev slips up in the slightest here, I can see Fallon latching onto that neck and bringing it on home with him. Like, again, Aliyev should stay safe and he should be able to grind this fight out from on top. But if he starts to slow down, you know, I mean, if he starts to succumb to the the pressure and the constant output off the back that Fallon's going to be throwing, maybe it, push, it puts Aliyev into an uncomfortable position where he gives up a choke of some sort. This is not the minus 900 favorite that you want to blindly throw into your parlays. He should win this fight. And again, he's, uh, you know, he's much younger. We got uh, Fallon coming in at 36 years old, whereas uh, Aliyev is only 24. He just turned 24 back in August. So you got to believe that we're going to see solid improvements from him uh, on a fight to fight basis. Yes, he should win this fight. Yes, he should grind this one out. And yes, he should stay out of submissions. But something in the back of my head is just like, hey, just throw a quarter unit on Fallon, just based off his aggressiveness alone, you know, with his chokes. His striking game, not the best. Like, at times, he'll use that one-two from distance and keep his opponents uh, on the end. But, like, you know, 0.25 unit stab at plus 600 at certain places you can get. Not a bad spot, in my opinion, right? The bet that I would make, and now the number is kind of escaping me now uh, with the over one and a half being around minus 175, I think Fallon is going to be a little bit hard for uh, for Aliyev to get out of there. And that will make Fallon live uh, the deeper that this fight goes. So Fallon by sub, oh, it's down to plus 750 now. Gosh darn everybody that got it in around plus 1400, plus 1200. But I was thinking of putting at least like 0.1 unit on that. So what I'm thinking of doing is going 0.25 units on Fallon money line and 0.1 unit on submission. Even at that plus 750 line, I, th- I think it's a solid spot. Again, we're talking... 0.25 and 0.35 unit like total this is not a lock of the night play this is not a dog of the night play this is just let's just throw it out there you know i mean i see the stylistic approach from fallon and how we could potentially take advantage of this matchup especially if he can survive and push this fight late but aliyev should win right aliyev should just grind him out and do what dagestanis do but i'll take a small shot on fallon for for shits and giggles all right let us move on to the next fight. We got a very intriguing matchup here between Otto Rodriguez and his opponent, Hassan Askabov. In terms of odds, we got minus 200 on the Russian, obviously, or I think he's Russian. I think he wants to say that he's from Luxembourg, if I'm not mistaken. But... He is fighting out of uh, South Florida. He does find himself, I believe, at Killcliffe FC. Let me just quickly confirm that here. 
uh, no, uh, American top team. Sorry, he's American top team. He's also signed to a first round management, as a lot of people know, Malki Kawa. But, um, you know, not as hot of a prospect as I originally thought. This guy has some holes in his game, right? He is a guy that if he faces adversity, he, he doesn't really do a good job in terms of trying to battle back from it. He needs a fight to play out in his realm the entire time. If it doesn't, he slips up. You know, perfect example is the the Ellis Mar uh, Lima fight two fights ago, where Lima was the one landing takedowns and controlling it from on top and doing good damage from on top. You can see the confidence waning in Askabov as he's slowly losing that fight. Um, he won his next fight relatively, you know, easily, getting his opponent down uh, relatively quickly, and then eventually working for that rear naked choke. He is a solid you know, ground fighter when he's able to be the hammer. But as the nail, I have question marks about it. Now, Otto Rodriguez, not a very active guy as he actually made his professional MMA debut way back in 2007. And to this day, he only has 14 professional MMA fights. He has been, uh, or actually, sorry, he came back after a roughly four-year layoff in his last matchup back at LFA 112 in July of 2021. And he won that fight with a grapple-heavy approach. He's going up against a 19 and 2 prospect, but that guy had no ground game or takedown defense. Otto Rodriguez was able to get that ground and fight to the ground relatively easily. His striking, big power punches, no, no real combinations or anything uh, to, to worry about there. But even from the Askabov side, that guy doesn't throw in combinations. He just blitzes forward and throws big shots. He's a big pot shotter. That's about it. So I don't feel comfortable minus 200 on the Askabov side. The spot that I'm looking at which uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on yet because I'm waiting for it to open up on more books, is the over two and a half, roughly around minus 110. Let me see what the bookies are saying now with that prop. But I do expect this to be a back and forth grappling matchup. Uh, Over two and a half still, even money. So I likely pull the trigger on that. But uh, both guys can be competitive here. I can see Otto Rodriguez having his moments of success, maybe hitting a a reversal and, and getting some good work done from on top. I don't have confidence enough on either side. I am going to lean with the Ask Bob side just ever so slightly, you know, believing in the potential improvements that he can make with teaming up with a, a gym like American Top Team. Now this will be a second fight under that banner. Otto Rodriguez is going to be a very tough fail, which is why, again, like I said, the over two and a half is what's calling my name here. I'm expecting back and forth. Both guys don't really have crazy knockout power, and then on the ground, I think both guys can stay relatively stay safe and not get submitted in either spot here. So, Rodriguez, live underdog, no doubt about it, but I'm going to go with the over instead here. Hype MMA in the chat saying a big fan of Rodriguez in the spot. Excuse me. I understand why, my friend. I understand why. My guy Toby Christopher in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by on this Thursday early morning, 1 a.m. edition of the MMA Lockcast. All right, let's get to the next matchup. We're going to be talking about Roman Feraldo going up against Levin Chokeli. In terms of odds, we got minus 190 on Feraldo, plus 160 the return on Levin Chokeli. Now, this is a fun fight, right? This is a striker's delight. We got two guys that love to scrap on the feet, uh, you know, somewhat different styles. Roman Feraldo likes to use his 
range, likes to be uh, unorthodox at times, but does a good job in terms of using speed and combinations, uh, footworks and angles, uh, footwork and angles uh, to, you know, really torch his enemies from distance. Uh, Chokeli, in my opinion, came into Bellator with a padded 9-0 record, all of his wins coming inside the first round. Check out these stats. Seven of those victories came within a minute. His first eight wins came against guys that had, com- had a combined record of four of se- four and seven, with five of them being their pro debuts. All eight of those opponents now have a combined record of 14 and 21. Lastly, of those eight, six of them never competed again in MMA after they went up against Chokeli. It totally reminds me of Z- Zviad Lazisvili, who made his uh, you know UFC debut, I believe, earlier this year or last year, and lost to Jonathan Martinez. And Martinez was the underdog, folks. Got to look deeper into these guys if you want to get an edge on on some of these betting lines. Uh, for the most part, Chokeli is a power puncher, really starts to telegraph his shots later on in matchups because he starts to slow down a little bit, and then it's easier for his opponents to kind of see where the shots are coming from. He can be out-grappled, although I don't really think that Feraldo is going to be taking that approach. I think that we see Feraldo uh, utilizes better cardio, better footwork, better striking, and better speed to touch him up and eventually knock him out later in this matchup. This is Fraldo's most legit opponent to date, though, right? So there is concern that if he gets countered here by Joe Kelly's big power, he could potentially get put on his butt and possibly finish as well. So, you know, given, like like I said, it's Fraldo's first legit opponent. This is not some 36-year-old or 40-year-old that he has to face on the regional seat. This is a legit guy. Uh, or somewhat legit, or at least the most legit guy that he's faced to this point. So uh, instead of taking minus 190 of Fraldo, I'm going to look to add the fight doesn't go to the decision, which currently sits at minus 325, into my degenerate violence parlay. I'm expecting a finish from either side. I think Chokeli round one KO at plus 1200 is a crazy line because that's his, the bulk of his win condition, at least in my eyes. Uh, uh, also not a bad head spot. Uh, especially if you're taking the Feraldo money line. But I do think that Feraldo eventually catches up with him in the second round and knocks him out. Like I said, fight doesn't go to decision the spot that I'm leaning a tad more. Uh, but I'm expecting violence here, and I'd be surprised if this fight even reaches round three. Jewish better saying, I'm on Kelly here. Tammy Goodry in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. Jet Chabri in the chat saying, lock with the Bellator breakdown. Hell yeah, you can expect that. For every Bellator card moving forward, my friend. Appreciate you stopping by. Drew Spare is saying, Feraldo fought bombs, a very popular name. I think Chokeli could make improvements and take him out via KO. He has power, and this is the best opponent that he's faced to this point. But, uh, yeah, I'll be on the Feraldo side, not as a bet, but as a prediction. Fight doesn't go to decision. I don't mind parlaying that up a little bit here. All right, next fight up. We go to the heavyweight division, and we're going to be talking about Tyrell Fortune, who is now a more fleshed-out veteran in the Bellator game. If you guys remember, he was one of the first Bellator wrestling prospects brought into the promotion, making his debut back in November of 2016. He went on an eight-fight winning streak until he ran into Timothy Johnson, who knocked him out halfway through the first round, that fight taking place right before the pandemic hit in February of 2020. He's followed that up with a 4-1 run in Bellator. One of those losses coming to veteran of the game, Linton Vassell, who just was a little bit better than him in that fight, right? He was getting to the positions a little bit easier, able to hit some reversals, and was the slightly better striker uh, at certain points in that fight. But 
you see when Tyrell, how Fortune gets his best work done, it's when he can get his opponents to the ground and grind them out and, you know, posture up and get uh, solid uh, power from that top position. But Daniel James, you know, although he's 40 years old, he'll be turning 41 next month. He is a decent all-around MMA fighter. He's six foot six, 82 inch reach, and he has 20 fights of experience under his belt. Most of them taking place over there in ACA, ACB, where he's fighting decent level of heavyweights, at least for what the regional scene has to offer. He's lost to guys like Daniel Omiyalanchuk and Ruslan Magomedov, but he did manage to see the judges' scorecard in both of those fights. I think that this is one of those fights that will be back and forth. Tyrell Fortune is going to possibly get him to the ground, but I don't think he'll be able to get that position so quickly to try to get this fight done with early in the early going, which is why I'm kind of leaning the over one and a half in this spot. It's taken some action as it opened up at plus 170, but now it's at plus 135. But I think any plus money in this spot is a good spot, right? There's a lot of those heavyweight spots where we'd like to look at that over one and a half, given the styles of the, uh, the, the fighters. And I think that Daniel James is not this pushover, you know, similar to, um, you know, what Rakeem Cleveland was bringing into the cage, even though that guy was a, you know, 30 something fight veteran, he just, you know, wasn't, wasn't anywhere near the level of Tyrell fortune. Now I'm not saying Daniel James is going to go out there and beat, Tyrell Fortune, but I think he can remain competitive enough in the early going of this matchup that he could possibly uh, see this fight over that seven and a half minute mark and possibly force Tyrell Fortune to just have to grind him out over 15 minutes winning this, winning this fight via decision. So I'm going to go over one and a half. I'm going to go Tyrell Fortune via decision. But like I said, one and a half, that, that, that's the play here, especially at plus money. I could see this one squeaking over that seven and a half minute mark. <laughs> Q in the chat here saying, I'm going to store so much cocaine at the Winchester Arena, also betting every Russian besides Corey. There you go. I love it. But yeah, minus 300 on Fortune, pass over one and a half, plus 135. Sign me up. All right, next fight up. We're getting to the last three fights here, folks. Next up, we got veteran of the Bellator. MMA cage, Daniel Vaicho coming in at plus 240. He's going up against Timur Kizriev, who's coming in as a minus 300 favorite. Now, Timur Kizriev is actually the brother, the younger brother of UFC fighter Aliaskab Kizriev. And both of these guys, very promising prospects. Kizriev, 15 0, Aliaskab, uh, sorry, Timur, 15 0, Aliaskab, 14 0. A lot to be excited about these guys, in my opinion. So uh, let's start off on the Vaicho side, who's been in the uh, Bellator cage for over nine years now and has faced all levels of competition. Uh, He's a solid all-around fighter who's entering his 56th professional MMA fight, and he'll be turning 38 next week. The guy's been exchanging wins and losses over his last six fights. Uh, He has a solid boxing game. He has powers in in his hands, just as he showed in his last fight. And his BJJ is so crafty enough to stay competitive with some of these guys. Unfortunately for him, he's going up against a very hot prospect in Kizriev, who's 12 years younger than him. And like I said, has a 15-0 undefeated record. As you would expect a kid from the Halls, or that hails from Dagestan, Kizriev is a high-level wrestling, has a high-level... Uh, excuse me, 
He has a high-level wrestling game and does a great job in the BJJ realm. He's usually a step ahead of his opponents in scrambles, and his top pressure is very difficult to deal with for those guys. He's a very crafty takedown artist, and his striking is solidly improving for him to stay safe, especially against a guy like Vichel, who can crack with his hands. Uh, Kizriev uses a nice front kick up the middle effectively to keep his opponents at range, but then ultimately his goal is to get the fight to the ground where he can grind his opponents out. He's been fighting some very high-level competition over there in Russia, and I'm certain that a good portion of his opponents, should they have come over to the Bellator cage, they do a damn good job of holding their own as well. I think Kizrev is a decent enough parlay piece at minus 300, and some people might laugh at that considering that we got to give Daniel Vitro some more respect, but I really think that this Kizrev kid has all the goods and all the makings of a guy that will likely be in the top five uh, once the Bellator rankings, you know, come out in the next year, year and a half, he'll definitely find himself up there, especially, you know, making a splash in his Bellator debut against a veteran like Daniel Vitro, a former two-time title challenger like Daniel Vitro. You got to give this kid the respect that he deserves. So I'll go Kizriev, Kizriev by decision, minus 130. I do believe it's going to be hard to get, um, it's going to be hard to get Daniel Vitro out of there. Over two and a half, minus 275. Fight goes as a decision, minus 225. A little bit too chalky there. You know, there is a potential that Kizriev could finish him, right? That That is absolutely on the table here. Um, sorry, I don't know why I said that Timur is 15-0. He's actually 11-0. I must be confusing him with uh, Usman Nurmagomedov, who's 15-0. But uh, his brother, Alias Cab, is definitely 14-0 from what I remember. Uh, I'm going to lean Kizriev by decision, like I said. And I might parlay him. Uh, no official pick on him. It won't be officially making a parlay with him. But as a degen, I'll probably throw into a parlay. So give me Kizriev, Kizriev by decision. All right, next up, let's get to the first title fight of the night. We got the lightweight strap on the line here as Patriki Pitbull looks to defend his title against Usman Nurmagomedov. Now, Nurmagomedov, obviously, minus 645 favorite, plus 480 the return on the slightly skilled, slightly less skilled brother or Pitbull brother, Patriki Pitbull. Now, this is a, in my opinion, like a lot of people might say this is a huge step up for Usman Nurmagomedov, right? Like, I get it. You go from fighting the Chris Gonzalez's of the world to Patricky Pitbull, a guy who has been in the Bellator uh, promotion for, let me count it up here, for 11 years. He's had a, you know up and down career. He went on a seven-fight winning streak uh, and then eventually fought for the title, I believe, which was vacated by his brother so that he could eventually get the title. Uh, and that's exactly what he did when he won the title against Peter Quilly pretty much last year, last November, where he won the title and beat um, Quilly. He was a plus 185 underdog that night. He was a minus 300 favorite in their first fight, and then he ended up knocking Quilly out in the second round of their second fight and winning that fight. But we know what Patricky brings to the table, right? Solid striker, good leg kicks, decent all-around game. But I think that this is a huge step up for Patricky from Peter Quilly and, you know, even... um. Tofik Musayev to Usman Nurmagomedov, who is still a prospect to this point, right? We're talking about a 24-year-old kid, but like this guy seems to have all the goods. He's not your traditional Dagestani fighter either. He started 
his martial arts uh, training in Muay Thai. And you see it on full display when he fights. He uses kicks very well. He uses uh, his movement and his footwork very well. I think it's going to be very hard for Patricky to get a beat on this guy. And if Patricky wants to imp imply or implement a, a kick-heavy game, he's going to get one of those kicks caught and taken down because Usman is just as good on the ground as he is on the feet. And then when he hits the ground, he has a crazy choke game. He's finished pretty much every single opponent except two guys, one of them being Mike Hamill, which is, you know, maybe the best or second best guy that he's faced in Bellator since arriving there. So, yeah, maybe Pitbull uses his veteran savvy and, and gets um, Nurmagomedov out of there. But I, I really think that Nurmagomedov is the goods. I, I, I honestly, truly believe it. Again, minus 500, hard for me to, to convince myself to parlay that, especially against a guy of the stature of Pitbull. But I really think that Patrick or Nurmagomedov cruises here. Even as inside the distance line of minus 250, that's choggy as hell. But I think he gets it done inside the distance. His cardio looks great. Seems like he can go a hard 25 if he needs to. And I think it's going to be Patricky is the one that starts to slow down from all that relentless grappling and, and even the him whiffing from all the, the missed strikes because of the, the footwork and the and the movement of Usman. So I think we are officially entering the Nurmagomedov era in Bellator. I think Nurmagomedov gets his hand relatively or raised here relatively easily. Yeah. Nurmagomedov and you. And I think it's going to be and still for a long time after that once he captures the title here. And he's only 24 years old. So yeah, give me Nurmagomedov, Nurmagomedov inside the distance. Sorry, Patriki, but you're not built for this level of competition, in my opinion. All right, next up, main event time. It is the light heavyweight or Bellator light heavyweight Grand Prix finale, as well as Vadim Nemkov looking to defend his title. Let me count it up here for the third time. Obviously, he would have... Defended it and should he have won against Corey Anderson, but that fight did not seem like it was going his way. Now, Vadim Nemkov was a minus 150 to minus 170-ish favorite the first time that these guys locked horns, but we saw after a relatively competitive first round that Corey Anderson was starting to pick it up, starting to get his timing down, starting to get the takedowns going, and then from there, he was able to grind out Vadim and look like he was en route to potentially finishing that fight in round four. Namcom looked like he was slowing down. It did not look like he could keep up with the pace and pressure and that just constant work rate of Corey Anderson. And I think that's ultimately going to be the reason why Corey Anderson gets his hand raised in the spot. Outside of a Vadim Nemkov round one KO, because Corey Anderson, a guy who has been knocked out in the past, you know, has could still be questioning his durability. But Vadim Nemkov. You know, I, I think he's going to struggle to get that timing down of Corey Anderson. And I think after a somewhat competitive first round, Corey Anderson will start to take over. And it's going to get harder and harder for Nemkov to come back from that type of deficit. I think Corey Anderson likely finishes this fight after round three, or maybe even in round three. Anderson round three plus 900. Anderson round four plus 1,400. Anderson round five plus 2,000. I think one of those ends up hitting here. And I feel pretty damn good about Corey Anderson in this spot. We've pretty much already seen this fight happen. We've pretty much seen it. So should he get caught by an early bomb? I'll take that on the chin here.
but I feel like this is a spot where I'm likely going to take the chalk on the Corey Anderson side. Again, Hail Mary KO round one is all that's on the table, in my opinion, for Nemkov. Corey Anderson has an endless gas tank, and I don't think that Nemkov, Nemkov can keep up with that. Not at all. Let me see what Nemkov round one KO is sitting at. Plus 1,000. Not a bad hedge opportunity if you find yourself too wrapped up on the um, on the uh, Corey Anderson side, whether it's in parlays or straight up. But I'm going to take him straight up. I think he's worth the chalk here, and I think he cruises. And you going to hear that twice. And you times two for Bellator 28. Usman Nurmagomedov ruling the lightweight division moving forward. Corey Anderson taking the crown in the light heavyweight division and taking that on home. So give me Corey Anderson. Feel pretty good about him. Inside the distance round, three, four, five, possible finish there. Run it up. All right. That is a wrap on. Oh, wow. I didn't even change the fucking. I didn't even change it. <laughs> I apologize. But yeah, it was minus 220 for Anderson, plus 190 for Namkov. I'm seeing minus 219 on Pinnacle, but I'm waiting for those limits to open up a little bit more so I can get my full. Um, so I can get my full five units on that. All right, like I said, that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Appreciate everybody hanging with me on this uh, Thursday morning, 1 a.m. now, or 1.20 a.m. it is right now. Uh, I'm going to get cooking on my PFL breakdowns. I'll be doing a main event breakdown for you guys, uh, which I'll drop probably on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday of next week. And then the rest of the breakdowns are only going to be on the Patreon. Like I said at the top of the show, my, my $5 a month, Covers UFC and Bellator, but I'm adding a new tier now where I'm going to be getting into CFFC, LFA, PFL, uh, Cage Warriors, and Fury FC. Those will now be covered in best bets and props articles. That means every single matchup being broken down from your boy, and uh, that'll be starting up with this next PFL event next week. So shout out to everybody that's already upgraded their Patreon membership. Shout out to anybody that's going to be signing up afterwards. I love all you guys. You guys are the best. I'll be back tomorrow for propping you up with my guy, Cody. Uh, I'll also be dropping my lock on the night video for the week as well. Just letting you guys know where my lock money is going to be going this week. Uh, And I think that's about it. All right. Love you guys. I'm out of here. Peace.